What is up, everyone? This is Ronnie, your host of the Ronnie Asani Show. My number one goal in this show is to bring you some of the most amazing and accomplished individuals in the business world to share with you some real, raw, and authentic business insights. We sit down and talk in a casual setting, nothing too serious, yet we unpack some of the most incredible ideas, concepts, and best practices. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh, and don't forget to share the love. Like, share, and subscribe. Gracias, amigos. What is up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ronnie Asani Show. In today's episode, I'm joined by Satya Upadhyay, Vice President, Campaign Optimization, Marketing Capability, and Change at City. Satya has a wealth of experience in driving agile project delivery, data and analytics capability to pioneering integrated digital solutions, and delivering process efficiency, automation, and workflows for optimal customer engagement and experiences. In this episode, Satya and I sit down to discuss a whole range of marketing topics, including campaign optimization and how to use marketing technology and customer data to improve customer experience. So without further ado, let's jump straight into it. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for making it. I do appreciate your time. Pleasure having me. Um, long day. It's uh, probably quarter past six, but we got a ton of things to talk about. Exciting. Um, so you, I think maybe we can start with um, last, was it last week or the week before, you were at uh, a marketing tech. Um, uh, marketing tech symposium, symposium at the Hunter Valley. And man, what an event that was. I kind of had a look at some of the posts, but I haven't watched. I'm not sure if you, if you can watch. Uh, if it's public or not. It's not public yet. I think what they're trying to do is synchronize all that and then publish that. Uh, because it was a hybrid event, uh, yes. you had about 100 people attending that event live and about 100 odd people yeah. actually looking it through a webcam yeah. or, or teleconferencing that way. So the, the, the organizers are doing a due diligence of making those pod, uh, those uh, clips available uh, to, right. the, to the normal public your course in time i'll definitely uh, make sure i attend the next one it is a good conference if you are in the space of marketing and marketing technology yeah it's a really a great event that ashton mm. media organizes yeah. basically brings together like-minded people in the leadership between digital and marketing yeah and it's a it's, it's actually in the hunter valley so you're away from the stress of your day-to-day -day work Yep. And it allows you to be drink a lot of wine. Drink a lot of wine and sink and in with your colleagues more. and talk about the challenges that you've got in a non threatening environment and, and share ideas and, and take it from there. And then the key takeaway is that the quality of speakers that come through mm. and the quality of content that's shared yep. is, is is fundamental. Uh, it's paramount in terms of what you get the learnings out from there. So you can take that and basically put that into your organization or your workplace and take it from there. It's quite interesting you said, um, you know, being out from the city, from, you know, where your office is, out in Hunter Valley, a lot of times uh, learning and creativity and all the great ideas come when you're just away from the normal, you know, day-to-day -day stuff. Absolutely. They say, you know, if you're stressed, you can't basically think creative. So mm. sometimes there's a, there's a notion where people go out for a smoke, Mm. and healthy ideas breezing mm. and when they're out and they're just thinking and for me i used to have a scenario when i was actually in the shower i used yeah. to think okay how do i solve this problem and 
lot of ideas used to come to me when I'm in the shower thinking about the problem and the yeah. solution would come to me as enlightenment. Interesting. I I used to get ideas when when I just wake up or or maybe part of my dream just as I'm as I'm waking up and you know sometimes it, it like you've got to write it down as soon as you get up and then it's so just right about that i was actually talking to someone and what they say is the last so this is a career coach i was talking to yes and what they recommend is is the last thing that you do before sleep if you're reading and thinking about it in your sh- your subconscious mind you're actually thinking about it and and the brain is actually working through the solution so when you get up yep you really have a solution in hand so there you go amazing well um you were one of the speakers in I was. rightfully so you have a, a wealth of knowledge in in the world of marketing strategy and a few other things so um today's episode i think we can cover a few things um perhaps starting with campaign optimization love uh, the topic <laughs> that's Lots. what that's what you mainly focus on in your day to day Um, yes so you you're trying yeah. to run campaigns day to day what we're learning is that how do you do test and learn mm. what exactly is the objective of the campaign and then how do you actually optimize it and mm. and optimization actually has different meaning for different people mm. and there are different layers of optimization and amplification so mm. for example when i used to do campaigns 10 years ago uh, campaign optimization was all about if you have a competing Uh, if you have a customer who's been part of two competing campaigns mm. how do you actually optimize that so which one gets quarantined and which one gets gets through so what's your contract protocols and contract rules and how do you optimize that mm. that was a very long notion 10 years ago but as we go further and further optimization could be broken down into how do you do your campaign optimization how do you do your channel optimization how do you do your customer optimization Mm. and then the whole idea is that when you do optimization what you're trying to do is basically get better and better mm. and so you've done a campaign so there's never an idea that there's a bad campaign mm. there's always a campaign that did not perform as per expectation right. and how do you actually improvise and improve upon that mm. and you start making some tweaks and changes in different variables mm. that allows you to amplify your campaign right. at a very very high level you can have you can make your changes in your segment yep your data yep you can make changes in your creative you can make changes in your content you can make changes in your channel mm. and you exactly see how everything is performing and then you can do your ab testing multivariate testing champion yep. challenger strategies and so on so that's a very high level and a broad level of campaign optimization mm. that people do but then you can start also looking at other variables that you want to basically measure for example if you basically want to do the same channels so if you let's yep. say i send you an sms I want to follow that up. Yeah. Do I basically send you a follow-up SMS? Mm. So an SMS followed by an SMS, does that work? Or do I basically want to use another channel, an yep. SMS followed by an email or vice versa? Mm. And how does that perform? Then you want to look at your duration. So if I send you a follow-up reminder for example, if you're doing a reminder campaign, depending on the business you're in, uh, do you do a reminder after 2 days, after 1 day, after 1 week, after yep. 15 days? So the frequency. Mm. That also counts in. And then you want to do a the the reminder in another channel or yep. same channel so there are so many different variables that you can start looking at mm. and and amplifying your campaign 
So for anyone who's listening, um, campaign optimization, we're talking about digital marketing campaigns mainly? It could be. So effectively, you got the, the good thing about digital marketing campaigns is that the measurement could be done pretty much very, very quickly. So you get the results and you are able to tweak it back. And in earlier days when you had, uh, when you're trying to do optimization, your channels were direct mail yep. and telemarketing, which mm. were a long lead time and a cycle time. So by the time the responses come back, it could be a month, it could be even a year, depending on if you're a membership-based organization, how you basically collect your responses. The good thing about, you know, when you do, you do digital channels, you have your CROs, your micro-conversion and a macro-conversions. Yep. You effectively get your deliverability report, your bounce backs, and you're able to get all that information very, very quickly. Right. So when you look at uh, campaign optimizations, obviously one of the things is return on investment, right? Yeah. So how much we're spending and how much we're getting back. Uh, return on ad spend, things like um, you also look at sales cycle. So from the time that we um, start, like from the the first time we have a touch point with um, a lead or a visitor or, you know, a prospective customer to the time they in fact become a customer and make a purchase. How long does that cycle take? Yes. And how can we shorten that too? Do you also look at things like um, retention or retention is completely outside of this? No, you do look at retention okay. as well. So you rightly said, so you start looking at the top of the funnel. So effectively the journey starts, how do I basically convert a suspect into a prospect? Right. Prospect gets converted into a customer. That's how your funnel actually starts looking at. And then when you're looking at uh, lead generation, so how many contacts did I basically make with that customer mm -hmm. before I can convert that lead into a customer? Right. And how many s steps did I take and what's the cost? And effectively, the whole idea about campaign optimization is how much revenue is it generating? Yes. You forecast a figure yep. and you basically have a cost element associated with that. Ideally, your revenue should be more than your cost and that's basically X time Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> and that's where the amplification needs to happen. So what you look at is that you, you see a baseline. I'm looking at targeting 100,000 people. Let's make it up. Yep. And your target revenue uh, is a million dollars for that 100,000 people. So you exactly know your cost per sale per, your, or your cost per lead. And if you're not achieving that, and then you start looking at, okay, why am I not achieving that? Is that because of the creative, the content, the data? And then you start looking at your open rate. So if, if, I, if you're sending out to 100,000 people, and your open rate is only 2%, which means that people are just not opening your email. So there's something wrong in there. So is that your subject line header, your tagline, that's not effective. And if people are opening that, and then your CTR is not happening, so your conversion is not happening. Is there a problem in your content? And, or is there a problem in your offer? And you start making those changes in your, so it's all about firstly gauging and engaging the, the viewer or the customer. Mm. And then once you've engaged them, how do you actually basically make them a call to action? Right. Do you, I think that's one of the things that is, I think for everything there is a best practice, but there's also certain things where people do differently. And so the question or the idea or topic I want to explore with you is how much would you spend on experimenting new channels versus investing in proven channels in terms of budget, time, 
uh, human resource allocation. So let's say, you know, you spend $100,000 a month on, you know, three or four different channels. Um, let's say, just for the sake of example, Google ads and programmatic and maybe, you know, some some Facebook ads. Let's say these are your three main channels, right? And you go and you say, okay, well, I want to look at other ways to generate traffic because I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't, perhaps I just want to increase my return on investment, whatever. So I'm going to look at another channel, a completely different channel. Would you put in 2% allocation? Would you, would you do some, you know, would you do some, some research and maybe go 5%, 10%, 20%? Good question. So there's a couple of ways to, to handle that problem. So, one is which is your bread and butter campaign so that's basically uh, that's driving your revenue all the time so mm -hmm. maybe 50% of your budget is always allocated to your bread and butter campaign which yep. means that you want to improvise and optimize and amplify making smaller tweaks in your bread and butter campaigns yep. then you can allocate if 25% of absolutely unknown territory or new innovations mm -hmm. which means basically it could be a fail Mm. But you know, you know, how do you basically take a fails and start again from there? So that's right. And then twenty five percent where you've got a little bit of hypothesis and testing where this might work and may not work. So it's it's proven but not tested. Uh, at least tested in your environment. So twenty fifty twenty five twenty five. But you always need to have at least twenty five percent budget allocation for unproven uh, territory that you want to wander through. Mm. Get uh, get yourself because that's where you can basically make or break. Yeah, and this is where you uh, can make leapfrogs and, and take over, or if you're ahead of the competition, you can make that gap bigger because, you know, a lot of people tend to just keep investing in what is working. Correct. Until it's not. Exactly. So let's, let's <laughs> you, know? you know, let's rewind ourselves 10 years back. Uh, 10 years back, communication uh, was predominantly, whether you look at retail, whether you look at banking, whether you look at telco, you look at membership-based organization, it was all direct mail. Mm. And the cost of direct mail is significant, right? And DM, I mean, I said DM, sorry, uh, email was not a, a sort of channel. Yep, EDM. And EDM as, yep. a, as a result of which. And, and now what's happening is a lot of organizations are becoming totally digital. Yep. So their, their footprint on direct mail is uh, negligible or absolutely mm. zero. And every communication they are sending out is basically through a, a digital channel, which could be email or SMS. So 10 years ago, if you ask them, uh, can you basically send out an, e an EDM? The biggest challenge would be data. Mm. Oh, well, I don't have a, a, an email address for every a prospective customer or prospect that I've got. I've yep. got a direct mail address, so I've got a mailing address, and I need to basically send them a mail. And then also from a customer perspective, uh, the reception of an EDM as compared to a DM from a customer was also different. So some people were more tangible, tactile. They wanted to read their letter, their notices that were coming from their retail organizations, banking or telcos or membership-based organization. They wanted to look and feel and read the paper yep. as compared to reading it on uh, on an app or reading it on mm. digital media. I'll give you an example. Like I'm old school, so yep. I like reading. If I have to do something, I like to print it out and read it. Yep. Uh, my son basically wants to read PDF. So he's yep. basically just finished high school, and I brought him a lot of books. And now he's saying, "I said, do we want to save these books, or what's going to happen with this?" And he says, 
dad, I said I never wanted books. I can read through PDF. Mm. And I'm more comfortable reading it online in the digital space rather than the physical space. So mm. again, customer expectations are changing as well. So I guess organizations need to adapt to those changing customer expectations. Mm. Well, someone like your son, you're probably going to have to market to them uh, via TikTok and maybe whatever that comes next. Oh, TikTok, uh, Instagram, quite in that in that web to, mm. web 2.0 space. So, okay, cool. So, 25% is new territories, uncharted. Things that you have never ever done anything in. Yeah, so Okay. So if you look at so let's again rewind ourselves 20 uh, 20 years back or uh, when we had mass marketing. Mm. And mass marketing was all about above the line. Mm. right and then when we talked about below the line it was all data driven mm. and we had a lot of challenges with data driven marketing and today also we have a lot of challenges with data driven marketing and mm. data driven marketing now has taken a new shape of analytical marketing or personalization or if you go one step further called hyper personalization which is mm. the strategic and effective use of data to basically do point to point conversation but if you look at future which is about another 5 to 10 years you're looking at cognitive marketing which is the interconnected devices internet of things virtual reality augmented reality so how do you actually communicate in that space and mm. so if you're not allocating a portion of your budget to try those unknown territories mm. uh, you'll be left behind and you can't be ahead of the game and do you do you go in in areas where um not only you have haven't been before but perhaps the technology hasn't evolved yet to what many people think is effective good question so when i was there in the conference uh, scott brinch i don't know if you've heard his name he's yep. the so called industry proclaimed father of marketing technology uh, he writes wonderful articles on that and he talked about a fact that you know the the marktech law what it suggests is the the pace at which technology changes are happening currently and the pace at which organizations adapt to that change there is a big differential mm. so the question is that do you want to be an early adopter yep or do you want to be a fast follower in that space and depending on the risk appetite of you as an organization mm. uh it depends on how much you're going to reap the profits so let's take an example in banking yep so you've got banking is traditionally very very slow moving mm -hmm. because of uh, you know the legislation requirements that you've got the compliance the rules and regulations they are mm -hmm. basically guided by boundaries in which they need to operate and mm -hmm. there are so m many other verticals like banking that have to operate within that governance framework mm -hmm. but if you look at what's happening with open banking yep open banking has now been opened in australia i think it was july of this year i think so yeah um, and what's what is allowing to do is basically transfer of data or sharing of data within banks and banks so we'll touch in uh, in that for us is that customer data is customer data interesting okay however there's two things that's going to happen in that space one is customer data so if you are a bank if you're banking with bank a and you want to switch to bank b yesterday it was very very hard because to switch a bank across mm. bringing all your different portfolios of lending and your deposit accounts your credit card was hard but with open banking because you're able to share the data from bank a to bank b that becomes much much easier fast forward that for another 3 to 4 years where you'll start looking at multiplying the effects of open banking what you would see is that 
you will be able to share your transactional data as well. Wow. So what that means is that the other bank, Bank B, would now actually have all your transactional data and they can basically say, hey, I see you paying for, um, you know, on this commodity and we've got a relationship. Uh, ideally, as an average customer, you should be paying $200, but it looks like you're paying $300. Uh, you should have, you could get a, a cost saving of $100 if you switch your providers from A to B in that sector. So there's a, you know, the, the talk Whoa, about data me, is the new oil or the new currency. This is the power of data. Okay, we need to stop for a second here. Because <laughs> okay, you just blew my mind right Did now. I? So let me get this right. So you're not just talking about data of a specific customer after they have uh, migrated or, you know, they transferred to another bank. You're talking about the status quo, like day-to-day, Bank A has access to Bank B's um, data on the customer? On the customer. On, on, uh, on the regular. So on. I can then see, you know, your Bank B, I can see your customers and how much, you know, they're paying for various things and how you're charging them. I can then market to Correct. that customer and say, hey, you can get that from me in a more convenient or uh, a cheaper way. Yeah, but once the consent has been given. So it's not available for everyone. You need to give consent to bank. If you're banking with bank A, you need to give consent to bank B to do that uh, through an API connection. So it's not available for bank B to just uh, pounce on bank A's data. And the consent is on a customer by customer basis? Customer by customer basis. Right, okay, so one uh, like on my uh, bank app, there will be like a consent sort of opt-in yes. or whatever. Once I go, yep, yeah. then the other banks can see my data. Can, can see your data, yeah. Okay, and is that is that something, I find this super interesting, is that something that the regulatory bodies or body of you know, the banking system or financial services industry is pushing or are, is that an initiative coming from the banks? Uh, I wouldn't be able to comment on that uh, okay. at this stage, whether it's an initiative coming from the banks or is it an uh, initiative coming from the regulatory bodies, but I think it's more likely coming from the regulatory bodies in terms of okay. open banking is more about sharing of information. So it's, it's not, the banks wouldn't like it themselves. It's more yeah, coming from the regulators to make it happen. Right, because you wanna you wanna keep your customers' data Correct. in house. You wanna protect. You don't want to share. So you basically you're sharing your customers' data yep. with your other your your competitors. Your, yep. your competitors. So the share of wallet. You know there was a stickiness thing that was talked about. So if you have, and that's the same with telcos and banking. So if you've got a home loan, you want to have the credit card. You want to have a deposit accounts with the same things. So if you have mm. a a broadband, you have a mobile phone and and a landline with one telco like you know now i exactly know where mm. you're banking and what your share of wallet is and am i your main financial institution uh, driving things th um, in that space or not i think that's the same thing with energy like water so you should be able to do that like with energy as well so i uh, again with o it's like open banking and open data it's initially starting with banking yep uh, i don't know the year and the date when it will be rolled out for energy providers as well so gradually and gradually this is going to go across all verticals. And that's why if you're looking at the, the power of data and the analytics that goes behind it, uh, it's going to be phenomenal. That changes the entire game. That changes the entire head. game. And then, and if it's just maintaining the flavor of banking, so you've got your neo banks, yep. 
and you've got your digital banks or your fintechs now, technology yeah. companies actually investing in banking or financial services. So how do they have an upper hand as compared to traditional banking organizations? So, mm. you know, they're trying to basically get the agile way of working. What's also yep. happening, if you look at the computing power of computers has gone significantly increased of and course. the storage capacity has actually increased as well. But the cost of storage has actually decreased. Yep. So what they're trying to, so the, the challenge that you've got with larger organizations as compared to startups, mm. whether it's banking or, or, or telco or retail, anything which is a startup basically has the ability the capability and the access to latest technology. Mm. They don't really have legacy systems that they need to carry across. Yep. Whereas any other bigger organization, they've got bigger monolithic CRM, ERP system that need to integrate uh, with these new fancy toys or capabilities that you're bringing in mm. and how do you actually bring that uh, together. Yep. So that's, that's the biggest challenge. So, you know, when you read a lot, hey, this organization is really very old and they've got old methods of doing it. Uh, but if you look at it in hindsight, it's just like, how do they perform that cleanup? They've got millions of dollars invested in previous you know, legacy systems and mm. technology, and there's a lot of data sitting in there. How yep. do you migrate all of that into a new system mm. and make it happen? So it will happen, but it will take a bit of time. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the reasons startups, a lot of startups, uh, you know, are successful is because they are able to, they're not chained by all these legacy systems or, you know, even culture sometimes because the bigger the organization, generally speaking, it's a lot harder to make decisions, right? Absolutely. The less people, okay, guys, what do you think? If it's a startup, five, 10 people, what do you think? Oh, okay, cool, let's let's do it. Whereas in, you know, a, a big bank, okay, you're talking about meetings, you're talking about board, you're talking about, you know, not only that, so if you look at, let's like, let's be talking marketing. So let's uh, get, get back to the database marketing yep. concept. When you had CR, you know, initially in the 60s and 70s, when we started talking about CRM, mm -hmm. and a lot of organizations said that CRM did not, you know, rank up to the scale of where it should have been, and a lot of CRM projects failed. But the reality was that CRM was a monolithic structure that was predominantly for billing capability. Yep. Now, fast forward that in 1990, 1990 you know, 2000, yep. you're asking a CRM system which is predominantly built for storage of transactional data to do marketing communication. Yep, it's not designed to do it's that. It's not designed to do that. Yep. Whereas compared to the solution that you currently got in, on the cloud, and marketing cloud, there are n number of providers, Salesforce, Adobe, IBM, um, Oracle, you name it, and they've got a solution to do marketing communication. Yep. Uh, through email or SMS or any other digital channel or any other channel, but they're designed to do marketing communication and they want and they can do that in real time. Mm. Well, those those legacy CRM monolithic structures were designed to do batch transactions. Mm. So you know the dynamics have changed between what was what it was built for and what you're asking it to use, and that's where you've got the edge for startups. They're basically using cutting edge technology to do for it's basically got good. What's the right the process, the right product, mm. or the right, right, right communication. Do you do you think uh, for big organizations that have a lot of legacy systems, the best thing to do? And I guess it depends. It's a case by case. But do you think the best thing is to uh, do you know create a digital structure in parallel um, until it's up to a standard where you know 
you can you can do all the migration and migrate or how, how do you how do you go about <laughs> you know with you know big organizations and having you know i guess millions of data points and you know hundreds of thousands of customers or tens of thousands of customers how do you go about migrating to new systems do you really need to migrate it all the time can you can't you have an api or a platform ecosystem that basically can integrate with your existing system and bring everything when required into a new system and basically take it from there i okay. think there's a platform ecosystem that allows you to do that yep and uh, so i think organizations are talking about a platform based ecosystem and 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 connecting apis with and integrating the different systems that they've got and making them talk right so it's not only the one way api it's the dual way, way api api that allows to uh, base, basically makes the two systems talk with each other right okay interesting so if we go back to uh campaign optimization for a bit just before we move on to a few other topics uh for anyone who's listening perhaps start a startup or a small business listening to this and thinking okay you know what you're talking about big scale here you know you're talking about yeah let's get back large, to reality large, large <laughs> campaigns you know we can only afford uh you know i don't know 10k uh, ad budget or even you know sometimes smaller business that who are you know that are really starting from scratch sometimes they can probably even spend less than that so I guess the point is if we talk about smaller scale campaigns um would you change some of your strategies and what would you change The first thing whether you you know whether you're a big organization or a smaller organization what you should be thinking about when you're trying to do a campaign a campaign is actually a problem solving exercise So the first question that you need to ask is what is the business problem that we're looking at solving is that i've been looking at more traffic so i'll be looking at acquisition or we've got a leaking bucket so we're looking at retention so that's that's your first thing that you should be looking at is what's the problem that we're looking at solving and then you should have a concept and a notion of design thinking or design of experiments in terms of putting yourself in the customer's shoes and when you're designing a, a solution how does it actually perceive from a customer perspective mm. those two are fundamental so i guess we go into campaign and we we don't really have a head or tail of what we're really trying to do so if we have that very very clear in our head what's the business problem that we're looking at solving so for example let's say retention is our challenge then the next question would be do we have the retention problem of retention in the, in the entire base or there's a segment or there's a sub segment within a segment where we've got a challenge mm-hmm. and then you can narrow it down and then you yep. can say okay so i've got of my 100,000 customers that I've got in my customer base I'm a startup yep. uh the the 10,000 base which is you know you can have some attributes in there that's really causing us a bit of grief and that's where we need to be, do a fine tuning and that's how you s- start looking at baby steps so you start fundamentally what's the business problem you're looking at solving I guess for startups it's um probably not retention it's acquisition this is acquisition so how do you actually acquire more customers and yeah. where do you find those customers and and then if you're actually getting them on different channels how do you actually synchronize that for example because you're always trying to get lists or mm-hmm. you know so if you you acquire someone comes on your facebook you've got a cookie mm-hmm. and you track them through and then you basically put them on facebook and you retarget them and you and you basically look at your retargeting and then you have your dmps helping you 
quantify that customer and basically convert that into a customer. So that's where you're looking at. Back to your 25% of uncharted territories. Mm-hmm. Would you advise startups with obviously smaller budgets to do the same? Or would you say, look, your startup, look at initially to get traction, look at putting most of your resources, financial mainly, into things that are proven. And as you start to get some customer acquisition through the door, then you can start to slightly bit by bit. Yes, so because you don't really have a proven strategy, you exactly don't know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. So you need to start somewhere. So you need to borrow what's proven in other markets or other verticals yep. and just try and amplify from there on. So you might not mm. want to basically do a 25% split for you know yep. innovation or, or proven technologies. You want to say, okay, 90% I want to put in, in, I'm in this vertical. It seems to work in this vertical, so I'm going to do this. Mm. And gradually and gradually I'm going to amplify and increase my innovation budget from 10% to 25%. In six months' time I'll ramp it up. Mm. But I'll basically go with the test and uh, uh, test and learn methodology, and that's where you know you need to do your test and learn. And and the good thing about test and learn should be how do you do your test and learn, and when you fail, how do you fail fast and come back again? Mm. Because there's no point if you're running something and you're testing, and you're not learning, and there's no point in learning if you're not basically putting the learnings back into the cycle and improvising on through those uh, through those learnings. And just like in life, you have to fail often, but fail small and not fail big, not fail when it matters, fail when it doesn't matter. So you can you can translate that same, I guess, concept into your marketing and your marketing campaign by when, you know, when you test and when you explore new territory, especially if you're a startup again, um, okay, how much are we going to put into test what's the bare minimum that we need to put so that we can actually get valid conclusions or uh, we have enough sample size or you know any of that stuff uh, without overspending and taking additional risks that we don't necessarily want to take that's a good question so you know you, you, concept of test and learn or, or test and control or target and control so ideally, it's ten percent should be your control, and ninety mm. percent should be your target. So in your case, if you have, if you're a startup and you're a small company, you only have you're looking at targeting ten thousand people, and you want to basically start small, and you want to mm. take your risk appetite as low. So you want to target something new, actually. So you can l- look at ten percent of the base, or so maybe one thousand people are targeted with a new communication, new channel, and you can see how that performs. And ninety percent is actually going to your trusted media and channels and how and how does that perform so if you see mm. that your 10 percent is actually performing better than your 90 percent then you want to basically increase that to maybe say 20 percent then 30 yep. percent and gradually and gradually you want to basically make your your target your your control size yep and vice versa that's mm. how your champion and challenger strategies work yeah 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 totally agree i'm kind of curious um if you're seeing emerging marketing technologies that you are, that you admire, or you think are, are going to be taken over, or you you think they're not perhaps yet proven, but uh, got a lot of potential. Something you got your eye on. Um, I'm not sure if that's if there's something there to. to there is one thing uh, you know. So with marketing, uh, the challenge has uh, has always been the data 
how's data collected, how's stored, and how's going to be used. And mm. do we have all the data points required to communicate with a customer, especially in real time? Because mm. you've got data, as we talked earlier, in legacy systems. You've got data sitting in ERP system. You've got data sitting in C- you know, CRM system. You've got transactional data. You've got behavioral data, so structured, semi-structured, first party, second party, third party. All of a sudden, you see you've got 15 different data sources and you know what's the unique identifier mm. and the holy grail oh what used to be about the single customer view and how do you provide the single customer view so if you look at from an analyst perspective 80% of the time analyst spends on is actually collecting data and 20% of the time is analyzing data mm. so how do you actually generate the insights so if you can turn that around and 80% of the analyst time is actually spent in analyzing data mm. and 20% of the time is left to collecting data mm. uh, that would be the holy grail in the future and if you look at cdps if you've heard of them customer data platforms uh, yeah. that is a new technology that's coming in and yep. what it does is it's actually it's it's user intuitive from a mark is built or it's designed to build from a marketer's perspective so mm. re- removing the it as a middleman uh, to aggregate all those different data sources and create that single point of connectivity and create that single customer view, mm. uh, you are able to drag and drop. Uh, it's more of a GUI, a quite intuitive way of drag and drop and be able to do that. That's how it's been currently sold. Uh, okay. It's a bit of way early days, but I'm I'm hoping uh, with maturity and time, hopefully CDP should be able to solve that problem of single customer view and we should be able to leverage that and and be able to massage the different data types and data sources that we've got about a customer get a unified view and should be able to do real-time targeting and communication right real-time targeting as you're collecting the data as well correct right interesting um okay let's um Let's dive into a little bit about um, putting marketing strategies together. I think for a lot of established businesses, large enterprises or medium enterprises, um, marketing strategies are already a lot of times in place and kind of evolving slowly bit by bit. But for startups, um, marketing strategies are not probably sometimes not existing at all. So what from, you know, if from your experience over the last, I don't know, 15 years, 10 years, uh, however long uh, you've been in the space, what are the three key or any key principles that you think you need to have to have an effective marketing strategy? Let me answer the question in a bit different way. I like that. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about technology. Yes. And and people are buying a lot of technology and ignoring strategy. Yep. I think the, the first step that you need to do is define your strategy and based on your strategy, buy the technology. Absolutely. So technology is just the enabler. So when we talk about another layer of technology or with another lens is automation. Automation, what it does is basically, it ta- it's, it's a flight to success. It basically allows you to go from point A to point B in yesterday's world, if it was taking you, say, 10 hours, 10 days, uh, the flight in technology accelerates the whole thing. And you can do that in five minutes, milliseconds, 
you know, you basically yep. reduce your time to market. So that's yep. the technology is an enabler. Yep. You need to be grounded in in your strategy. Mm. So effectively and again when when I was there at the Marktech conference I started off saying to take a step forward you need to take a step backwards and the step backward was that the customer is always the focal point for an organization and it was always the focal point yesterday it will be today and it'll be tomorrow as well so your strategy should be around the customer yep. so that's where you know you got this new notion of people saying we are a customer centric organization mm. let's let's take the whole thing again and unwire it so we talked about optimization so anything that you're doing whatever you're doing you're doing it for the customer what value does it generate for the customers mm. when we're running campaigns the the challenge that we've had with campaigns and why we have to optimize them i've take them again where we started from because there's two things one is what's the value for the brand and what's the value for the customer if you look at any campaign that you're running it's always about the dollar value Mm. we started off saying you know what's the revenue that's going to come through that is all about the value to the brand mm. we forget about the customer yeah if we actually switch it around and we say what's the value to the customer and what steps we need to provide to ensure the customer gets an exponential experience all of a sudden because of that experience they're going to do more and more transactions and that value for the brand automatically increases so my one pointer would be don't really focus on the technology the technology is the enabler mm. focus on the strategy and your strategy should be the customer are we very customer centric what are we doing to be customer centric are we walking the talk or are we just talking the talk are we just saying we're customer centric but we're, we're still not really doing on, you know revenue and uh, and I, look at the end of the day a business is a business it's not there to to lose money oh, yes. so I, you know a lot of people uh a lot of organizations have very and that's the interesting part when you start to grow and you have different stakeholders you have investors you have you know a lot of people uh who have skin in the game the pressure starts to kind of take the organization and the leaders of the organization away from being customer centric and that's a good point so that's that basically gets into the good topic of culture yeah so when you look at So again when we had mass marketing mass marketing was equal to product marketing mm. so it was all about being very product centric and we were always thinking the more products you sell the more revenue you're going to generate mm. when you start when you started going into data driven marketing or analytical marketing it started becoming about the customer so the more mm. target you know we had this question of right time right place right product yep place product all the four places yep so that is basically a price concept Yep. now that we've got is a value concept yep and the wa- the value concept is what type of experiences are we providing mm-hmm. what's the are we are we empathetic with the with with our customers yep are we providing them a, an exclusive offer you know one to one so how is the offer that you're giving me is different to the offer that you're receiving mm. i used to work in a casino a while ago and the whole idea about exclusivity was that if you are a high end you know high roller right got a million dollars in your pocket but you can basically spin around the world in in a couple of hours mm. when i say couple of hours I mean in 12 to 24 hours you can basically be in sydney you can be in in vegas you could be in singapore you could be in hong in hong kong well not right now well, <laughs> well t- <laughs> no, at this stage we've got the covid restrictions yeah right the, now the, you could just take a walk to uh stock scene that's it oh <laughs> there you go so the the question was that uh ha- the customer is actually looking for exclusivity yep 
you've got a million dollars in your pocket you can basically go to any corner of the world mm. so why would you go to you know casino a as compared to casino b the whole idea is that if i get an experience and i get that exclusive experience you know money which money can't buy i'm in for it so that's where the transition happening from price to value mm. customer experience is the key word here and um so i had a an episode with Sean Hall shout out to Sean Hall he um uh, he's the founder of a company called EnergyX and basically his focus is how to work with organizations on um you know people's energy people's mental um you know uh, i guess capacity through um removing any of the uh, bottlenecks or challenges that kind of drains people um whether it's through culture whether it's through learning how to deal with stress and things like that and the whole focus is around uplifting stress uh, uplifting minimizing stress and uplifting creativity and Im- improving culture so my question to you is how much of that do you see having direct impact on uh marketing as a function and the the entire organization uh in terms of you know your ability to 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 have high level of creativity and 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 not be held back by i guess um anything in the organization that can can uh push that down good question and a difficult one as well and yeah. talking about culture you know i think where we need to take a step back to understand what's actually prohibiting uh, an organization moving forward from a cultural perspective is that the fear of failure mm. and one of the things you know how you differentiate between uh, established well oiled organization as compared to a startup mm. a startup is all about you know fail fast and you you're trying and being innovative whereas established uh, organization is basically taking you know step grounded mm. and you know the marginal error the opportunity to make error is very very marginal whereas the risk taking appetite in a startup is relatively much much higher and fa- fail but fail fast and and quickly come back to the whole thing yeah the other thing is also is that the people that are in the organizations if they've been there for 10 to 15 years i defi- i define it actually in a, in a quadrant way you know you know what you know mm and then that's that's a smaller portion i exactly yeah. know what i know then i also know you you know what you don't know which is yep i know that i don't know certain things yep. the bigger quadrant again maintaining that 25 25 or 50% uh, uh, you know ratio yep. you don't know what you don't know and that's yep. the the biggest challenge is you just don't know what you don't know so mm. how ch- how technology is evolving how markets are evolving is very is is exponentially different to what it was 10 15 years ago mm. and that is the biggest block that you've got in culture that people that have been in the organization they've not if they've not fundamentally grown themselves with how technology and market has evolved uh, the opportunity to have a growth mindset you know that's the word that we're currently mm. using you need to have a growth mindset and how do you actually bring that the appetite to take risk yep is not there so what we need and how do you actually how do you bring that into a team is you know you, mistakes are going to happen mm. so how do you actually encourage people to try new things so if uh, if 
if there's a young member in the team and they know that the management does not like, you know, if you make a mistake, you are you, there are repercussions. Mm. So no one's actually going to put forward an innovative idea. Mm. Same thing. How do you actually reward people when they have innovative ideas coming through? Mm. If you don't have that culture, people are not going to come up with new ideas. People are not going to try new ideas because they know if they fail, they're going to be punished. So you need to bring a culture within the organization of how to imbibe that and how to circulate that within the employee base. When you look at product development and research and development, um, there's always an allocation of funds to working on things and you don't have any expectations if they're going to work or not. How many organizations have that? You know, if you look at Google, Apple, yep. they are significantly ahead of the curve in looking at product development in that space. Yep. The point I was trying to make is when you look at marketing, a lot of times, because in marketing, when you try to market something, there's a part of you that's going back to, you know, your 25%. You're going to, you have to go, you have to step outside of what you do and try new things. And try, try new things make um, you vulnerable for, um, you know, things that may not work and, and obviously uh, wasting money or whatever. So I, 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 when I look at a parallel, um, when I do, when I look at product development versus marketing, a lot of times... I feel like marketing is not is at the shorter end of the stick where everyone is expecting 100% of what you do works when it's not actually designed to be that way. There should be, and I think that ties also to the culture um, in terms of expectations and empowering people who bring creativity, people who bring new ideas to say, okay, let's give that a go. We don't know, but let's give all these different ideas a go. Yeah, so there's a concept called liquid customer expectations. I don't know if you come across that. No, I haven't. So liquid customer expectation is all about, you know, if I, when earlier when we were talking about customer experience and product development, everyone's notion was that if, I am, if I'm in banking, how my current banks treats me, or the experience that I get from my own bank, I try to compare that with the other banks. Yep. If I'm a telco, experience that I get with my telco, I'm expecting, you know, all telcos behave like that. Yep. Then you've got these new players, for example, Amazon, Netflix, Uber. They've got, they've actually revolutionized the whole experience uh, phenomenon. Mm. So the experience that they provide you is, you know, digital, exponential, mm. uh, customer first and first time resolution. They are trying to basically circulate that mind shift change that this is the customer experience that you should be expecting, not only when you're actually transacting and, in, and interacting with Amazon or Netflix. It should be across every vertical or every touch point or every organization that you're doing with. They're raising the bar. On They're raising the industry. bar, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the experience that you get with Amazon, the next time you walk into your bank, you want the same thing. Mm. The next time you talk to your energy provider, you want the same. Mm. You know, like Uber basically does that. So when you book an, uh, um, a cab from Uber, you exactly know the driver, you exactly know the make and model of the car, where it's actually in transit, where it's, when it's turning, how many minutes away is it coming from. What, you order a pizza. People basically want the same experience. You know, they want to mm. know when the pizza is arriving. They want to see how it's actually getting made. Mm. With, when it's in, actually in the oven. Yep. Apologies. Sorry. That is absolutely okay. That's a good, cool ringtone. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so you're talking about... Um, uh, um, you're talking about the expectations being up high from all the disruptors in other industries and how that has made customers uh, expect that from businesses in every other vertical. Correct. Yeah. Was there something else? I think yeah. that, that, and that's exactly what liquid customer expectation is all about. So you, the yeah. experience that you actually uh, get yeah. uh, in one vertical, you yeah. want that a seamless experience across all verticals. So it's no, it's no boundaries. Mm. Um, I just had a question that uh, just kind of came to me now on the topic that we were talking about earlier. Um, in campaign optimization, there's this reality that the cost of advertising is increasing in certain places or in most places, not all. <laughs> when when you uh, discover that a channel or a, a form of advertising is effective, eventually people, more and more businesses start to flock to it and then it hits a point where it's too expensive, right? Was Facebook an example of that? Look, or, you know, you had more traffic coming on Facebook. So would you say that diluted uh, the advertising expense on being done on a channel? Yeah, I guess the, the, what I'm, the way I'm tr trying to address this is generally speaking. Um, but if you want an example, I would say um, Google search um, ads have become increasingly expensive, in especially in certain verticals, for example. Now, when you look at campaign optimization, and obviously you're trying to improve the ROI, the uh, return on ad spend, um, get more sales. Is increasing uh, the, the general trend of the cost per click or cost you know, per impression going up, is that a main concern? And do you look at different ways to um, deal with that? Are you trying to look at how, and to deal with that, are you focusing more on customer experience and increasing conversions, or are you focusing more on um, the, the front end by, by improving your um, creative to get more clicks so that you mitigate um, that? Like, how do you, how do you approach that? I don't directly lead into the digital sales, uh, you know, the top of the yep. funnel. Uh, so I don't have much experience to talk okay. about the top of the funnel and the, the CRO that you get or pay-per-click or PPC okay, cool. ads. But you, you touched on two different points. One is the creativity. Mm. And I'll actually talk a bit more about the data element because I primarily focus more on the data and analytics side yep. of things. So you know, there, used to be, there used to be a time called content is king. Right, yep. so because content is queen, is king, then is is data the queen? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole is that is is it is it content led or analytics led? Right. So I guess from from a targeting perspective, so just if I answer the question in a different way, is that how sophisticated do you get into your targeting, and how do you create a segment of one? Mm. And if you get to that point of creating a segment of one, that's where you start getting a bit more precise 
in your targeting. And segment of one? one. What does that mean? What that basically means is uh, when you do, so again, going back to our example of mass marketing, so yep. you basically have the same offer in yep. your product management space going to your entire customer base. Yeah. Then what you try to do, you, you segment your customer base. So let's say you've got five different segments. Yeah. And segment one would receive offer one, segment two would receive offer two, and so on and so on. Right. With a segment of one, basically, what you're trying to say is that you're pretty much trying to do real-time marketing, so in-moment marketing. So what that means is rather than having uh, a predefined offer that has been pre-composed by a product manager, you've got N number of offers in your library. And based on the interaction the customer does with the organization at that point in time, the offer which is best suited for that customer gets rendered or displayed uh, to a customer. That's, you know, so you're trying to do hyper-personalization mm. uh, and moving absolutely away from mass marketing to really being sophistication of targeting. And this will get, this will evolve more and more as we have the algorithms of artificial intelligence and machine learning coming in play. And is this um, offering in real time more done on the um, touch, like the areas where you have control, like your website, for example? So if you're a bank and you know you know this person or this visitor has come uh, to your site and you have the you know this data about them, um, you show a specific um, messaging or an offer right. Then and there, or is it also on the ad level? Like also, it should be also on the ad level. Yep. Uh, programmatic, I can. I don't have much experience in programmatic, but I think programmatic is trying to do that. So let let's try to take an example. So, in moment marketing is if I'm looking for a product, mm. I'm actually I've got a shelf life. Yep. And if actually let's say if I'm buying a car. Yep. If I'm in the market for a car, and you render me ads about a car, I'm receptive. Mm. Once I bought the car, there's no point displaying an, an ad for a car. Of course. So how do you actually figure out that I'm actually in market for a car? So that's where your in-moment marketing and segment of one comes in place. So, and digital is relatively quite sophisticated in making that happen through programming and other technologies that renders the ad based on the conversation. Mm. For example, you know, I was, I was doing a case study quite a while ago. Me and you are talking about cars, for example, yep. and we are chatting about it. Mm. So the chat windows is picked up new cars. Mm. How does that data get ingested into your systems? And you say, looking at, okay, Satya and Rami are talking about cars, so let's display, mm. and they basically log on to their website. Mm. You know, you've got your DSPs and SSPs, and put yep. that through, and you render an ad for a car. Mm. I think the final question I have for you, or that I just kind of wanted to explore with you is how much, because uh, we talked about data a lot today, um, and I always think about whether data is, like everyone can agree that data is, is super important in enabling, right, organizations and your marketing strategies. How much do you think uh, privacy and regulation, and I guess that's a very tough one, but we can kind of explore it together, unless you have some some, you know, um, direct insights on it. How much do you think uh, regulations around privacy will be challenging or uh, hold back m marketing technologies around data to enable customer experience? Good. 
question. <laughs> it's a hard, so you know, I talked about that in the my Tech conference. So there's two yeah. elements to that. So we need to firstly differentiate between data privacy mm. and data security. And, yeah. and and you know when we talk about those two things, they are intertwined and interlinked, mm. but there is a distinct separation between them. So data privacy is when I provide my, you as an organization, I provide my data that you've collected. How do you actually use it for monetization? And yep. Do you actually share that with, and do you have the rights to share and have you had my permissions to share? And the other one is marketing permissions. So even if you have my data, for you to talk to me for marketing purposes, have I said yes or no? Mm. That's marketing permission. and That's data privacy. And data security is that you've got my consent to hold my data, but how are you actually protecting it within the four walls of your organizations and behind the firewalls of your IT systems that you don't have hackers coming in and, it ends and, up on the and, news and, and basically taking yep. episodes. So that's the clear differentiation. Mm. And I guess uh, people are, what people are, so that's the question. So the question is, a customer is actually asking an organization, you're collecting a lot of data, a lot of information about me, mm. but what are you doing? So if you're, if you're using that data or you want not actually monetizing, but if you're using that data, that's going to benefit me as a customer, I'm happy for you to do that. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But if you're using my data and you're selling it to someone else, becoming second party and third party data, I'm not happy about that. Mm. And that's where the regulations are holding organizations. You've got the GDPR in Europe, you've got, you know, ACMA in Australia, you've got the California Act in the US. Mm. That's where they're tightening. I think recently Marriott got fined about in excess of $20 million of data breaches. And we basically hear all on and off about organizations being fined for data breaches. So that's the differentiation. And I guess coming back to my point of, you know, how much data you're collecting about me and how you're using it, that is going to be the key differentiator of organizations in the future. Mm. because the whole idea is that what I call it is that know me, recommend me, and then deliver that experience. So mm. effectively what Amazon and Netflix are trying to do, they're trying to play in that data space of monetizing it and using it for the customer's benefit mm. in terms of the recommendation engine that they're building uh, and the next best product, the next best offer, the next best conversation. Mm. That's all dependent on that. So if you're using it for that purposes, I guess the the customer is going to say, I'm all in for it. But if not, then the customer is going to question you. Mm. Totally agree. Um, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to dive into? I think we've touched on a couple of things or actually a number of things. We started with campaign optimization. We spent a bit of time on that. Then we diverted to data. Diverged into data in terms of how data is created, stored, and used. Then we've talked a bit about culture, culture, organization, and and then we finished, uh, we're trying to wrap it off with uh, data privacy and security. Yeah. So I think we've summed it up very well. And All these topics in the, among themselves are a topic for a podcast, but we'll leave that for another day, another time. Well, Satya, we can have you as a regular episode. We can, uh, you know, talk about each and every one of these uh, at a time. Uh, I certainly enjoyed uh this conversation so thank you so much it's a pleasure uh, having and me. i hope everyone else who um will get the chance will get the chance to listen to this find a lot of value and help 
the organization to take the right steps uh, within you know anything uh, in the marketing. So thank you so much. Thank you.